Oh, it's your favorite time of the week. All your work is done, and it's time to relax. So come, grab some friends, and let's get lit and join the rotation. You are now in the rotation with Suncoast Normal. We are your host, your Suncoast Normal Executive Board, and we say it's time to legalize it. A special edition of the rotation. Let's jump into it. Now here we are today at three separate locations once again, thanks to the wonders that is COVID. <laughs> the virus that looks so much like our governor right now. When he has his mask off, but let's not, let's not get into that right now. We're going to, we're going to get into is the fact that you have COVID. Both of you have COVID. No, I, I don't have COVID. I'm good. Oh. Gary, Gary's for COVID. I have COVID. Let, let, let's introduce ourselves for those people who don't know us. My name is Gary Stein. I'm the political director here at Suncoast Normal, uh, back at my home in Wesley Chapel, just a few miles south of the home of the Everly Brothers. We'll, we'll get into that later on. Uh, to my right is coming from the Beltway, Chris Kano, our executive director and man about town and man who uh, thaws his meat on the back porch. <laughs> and below me, the man who controls everything except for his own bladder, Carlos Sermita. <laughs> our deputy director. And I love it. Master love of it. Business Administration. I love it. <laughs> now, the reason this is so special, is tomorrow is the primary election for the 2020 election, 2022 election here in Florida. And that might make a big difference in quite a few races. Now, we went ahead and looked at all the races. Some of them, they're, they're done deals. We, we have incumbents who will not, not get rocked off their throne because of uh, redistricting and things of that sort. We have other ones that are, are real toss-ups, and we've had a chance to introduce, to introduce ourselves and, and introduce to you a lot of the candidates out there who you may or may not know. So if you want to get a chance to look at the interviews that we have done with these candidates, go to our website at suncoastnormal.org and check out the blog, and you can see all the whole interviews. Although we might just throw a couple of things here and there that uh, really kind of piqued our attention, as it were, as we when we were going through those election uh, interviews. We'll now, be posted during this show. <laughs> absolutely. Now, we should note that this year was, a, was one of those redistricting years, and it really did screw up a lot of things for a lot of candidates who really want to participate in the election that was close to them, only to find themselves having to jump from one district to the other, and it's been kind of a mess. Chris, wouldn't you agree that they've kind of screwed it up again? Well, you know, when it comes to screwing the pooch, the Florida uh, Republican Party has been screwing over people uh, since the mid-90s in this state. Um, and they've had the opportunity now to redistrict, uh, if I'm not mistaken, three different times uh, during that time span. And what they've done is they've crammed as many Democratic-leaning voters into districts as possible while, you know, making it to where 
they can almost have like a super majority uh, in the Florida legislature. And it's made it very difficult uh, to actually, you know, govern in a, in a, in a uh, what's the word, a moderate type of way. What we see is very extreme legislation uh, coming out of the Florida legislature, things like, um, you know, can't talk about people being gay uh, in the classroom. Um, you can't have, uh, you know, uh, figures on the wall that are civil rights icons. Um, you know, the, the whitewashing of slavery through the textbooks. Um, so all these different things are, are culminated in something is, 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 is you know, it, it would seem minute as redistricting. And, and that's why we are where we are today. Is And even with redistricting, sometimes you'll have amazing rock star representatives uh, that are for the people. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves out of office because they've been the lines have been drawn um, that way. And they're no longer able to uh, be in the same districts. And you have very good representatives now all having to jump into these primaries and primarying each other uh, in these legislative districts. And one of the things about the primaries that's always bugged me that you have the individual parties, the uh, the ROPF, you know, the, the Republican Party, and the DECC over over here in, in the Democratic Party, that tend to pick winners and losers during the primaries. Personally, mm -hmm. they should be getting the hell out of the primaries and let the best candidates shine, as opposed to saying, "Yeah, this is the one you have to vote for," because so often they're wrong. This is true. I, I have personal experience with that. Know very well. <laughs> Yeah, Chris has, has pissed off the Democratic Party more than once in the state of Florida, and they have more than more than one time told me that, uh, calling him that damn Kano for one thing. Uh, <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that as a badge of honor. You absolutely, know, absolutely. Well, let's start with the first big one: the the governor's race. We we started out with uh, five candidates on the Democratic side, and now we're down to two because. Uh, we had one that jumped to a congressional race and two that, well, they're they're not going to make it, to be honest with you. They, they, and they, let's they, be fair, two that actually have a, a, a snowball's chance of how they're winning. They're, if you look at your ballot, you're going to see a tons of names on there uh, if you look at your primary ballot for every election. But the two that we're highlighting uh, that we know have a legitimate shot of taking on Ron DeSantis in the general election are, of course, our Commissioner of Agriculture, Nikki Freed and former governor and uh, congressman from the St. Petersburg area, Charlie Crist. Now, if you look at the polls, you really have no idea who the hell is, in, is actually in the lead right now. Two of the two main polls in Florida, we have St. Pete polls uh, coming out of St. Pete, naturally, and uh, Peter Scorch, our friend, uh, has uh, Charlie Crist up by, oh, I say, what, 18 points approximately. And uh, the University of North Florida poll has uh Nikki ahead by about four points so one is very right and one is very wrong and we don't think we'll know which one it actually is until the votes actually come in well you know on this race when it comes to polls what I've learned about polling is that if you have enough money and you're you know you're, you're a leading candidate you can essentially you know have pollsters uh you know, I mean, they're producing a product for you. So they'll, they'll give you a poll that you want a year in order for you to come back to them and spend money with them. So if I was Charlie Crist uh, and this pollster saying, oh, I got this lead, why wouldn't you come back to that person and keep polling with them? So um, basically bullshit. In a lot of ways, they are. Yeah. And then also, you know, as a social scientist myself, you got to look at your sample size. You have to look at um, where you're polling because you can get 
um, uh, biased into polling based on, you know, if you're just looking in, in polling in certain neighborhoods. Um, so, you know, for those folks that show Nikki ahead by four points, I would say how many people are in that sample size and are you polling statewide or are you just polling through the urban corridor? Are you polling just in rural areas or are you polling in, in uh, neighborhoods that have high concentrations of black and Hispanic voters? So there's a lot to be said as to which of these polls may actually be accurate. I was and another factor is whether or not okay. you're actually polling using landlines or cell phones. Yeah. I mean, uh -huh. who do you know has a landline right now, but no cell phone? Ooh, uh, people over 70. <laughs> basic Fox News watcher right now, basically. So maybe they're, they're more accurate for the Republicans than they are for the Democrats. I'm not quite certain. But if we're still going with landlines and a lot of these call sheets that you get to take a look at, if you're actually doing the, the get out the vote campaigns, are landlines. Plain and simple. And a lot of people hang up on you before you get a chance to even ask the question. I know I do. <laughs> I mean, we, we've had some bad, we, we had some interesting robocalls and things of that sort. And one other thing I wanted to mention is that, well, of course, we're a show that has to do with the legalization of cannabis. But is that the only issue that's important to voters? I mean, how many single issue voters are there out there, Chris? Well, um, lots. You know, one of the things that I've seen and that I think the cannabis movement should um, take and emulate is the single issue staunchness that the LGBTQ community has had for so many years. If you are an anti-LGBTQ candidate, they do everything in their power to make sure you don't win. And I think that the cannabis community um, can really take a, that model and should apply that. But unfortunately, in the cannabis community, uh, we see folks that are willing to sacrifice uh, the legalization of cannabis, they're willing to sacrifice on home growth, they're willing to compromise on so many things for whatever reason that their other politics uh, might actually you know, show up. It sounds weird to say this, but I really think the cannabis community is a little bit more diverse in ideology than uh, the, the LGBTQ community. Um, because I mean, you've got people on both sides of the aisle here. You got your, your liberals and you've got like, you, there's literally like, like Nazi dudes. I think that marijuana should be legalized. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's so, a great point, Carlos. Yeah. So like, it, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit too diverse. Like it's, it's hard to be a, a single issue voter when it comes to marijuana because you got people on both sides of the aisle. And, and to your point there, no political party has ever truly stepped up to become the cannabis party, the champion of cannabis. Um, right. And we see that because both political parties during the 80s and 90s utilized the war on drugs to advance their own reelections. You know, Joe Biden uh, in the in the mid 90s was part of the architect behind the you know mass incarceration in the, the 94 crime bill. Uh, you see before that, you know, Republicans supporting Reagan and Nixon with their hard on on crime policies and, and, and what that's caused. And so um, all in all, uh, you know, the difference difference in all of it is that there's no been one single party for cannabis uses to coalesce around. And then even that, you've had champions in both parties, especially here in Florida. We've seen, you know, previously Matt Gates and then uh, most recently Jeff Brandis. And then, you know, you see other folks like Carlos Guillermo Smith and, and, and Nikki Freed uh, on the other side of the aisle for the Democrats um, stepping up to be champions. So uh, like you said, Carlos, I think you hit it on the head. The diversity of the cannabis community oftentimes prevents the single issue voting. Well, it's hard for us to agree on anything. 
It's, 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 I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, 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 there's Mia and there's, there's Chris and then Carlos is against everything. <laughs> I mean, I'm all, I'm all for being an omnivore. Uh, uh, well, Carlos, he basically refused to eat any meat anymore. And Chris will eat meat whether it's rotten or not. So we don't know. <laughs> And of course, you know, we're, we're from three different religious backgrounds, somewhat political uh, ideologies, somewhat. I mean, I, I like to stay in the middle of things. I like to stay independent. That way you can criticize both sides equally. Because uh-huh. a lot of times we have to. And let's take a look at our two Democratic candidates for governor right now. Both of them have been pro-cannabis. Both of them came on our show and exposed their willingness to go ahead and move the program forward. The question is, is it campaign rhetoric or is it reality you have to base it on what they've done before and what they can beyond that because people uh, candidates do evolve i mean lgbtq uh issues we've seen charlie christ evolve in a lot of issues and even our even uh, biden uh evolved and obama evolved during their own during their uh (laughs) their first uh term of office so the question is, where do they stand now and what have they done in the past? Well, Nikki uh, obviously was working as a lobbyist for the cannabis industry. She also mm-hmm. lobbied for the tobacco industry. Mm-hmm. Because lobbyists basically go where the money is. And, and then that, that's a, a, a very good business acumen, especially if you, you know, have a, uh, a compass which can spin in any direction and allows you to go ahead and, and take on whatever role you want to take on for the sake of your client. And that's basically where, where it comes from. We've seen so many prohibitionist lobbyists that are suddenly champions for cannabis because somebody with cash came by. Let's, I mean, Frank Artillis, God bless the man. <laughs> Republican Senator from Miami. I saw them, I saw, last time I saw him, he was a lobbyist for Green Roads. Mm. And of course, Boehner, right? Former yeah. Speaker of the House, he was a board member for uh, uh, Acreage, along with uh, what's his name, the Libertarian candidate as well, uh, Gary Johnson. Johnson. Yeah, exactly, and also the other one who used to be head of uh, the governor of Massachusetts, also was a, a board member of Acreage as well. Hmm. So where where do we stand as far as our two candidates are concerned? Now we have we taken a stand on which one we want. <laughs> Personally, I have, but we we haven't as an organization. And I think you know, as an organization, what our our really what, what we need to do is uh, we've done what we did. We 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 showcased these these candidates. We brought them onto the show. We asked them the hard questions. They gave us direct answers of how they feel. And it's really for up to up to our members and the public in general uh, to make their decision as to who the best candidate is. We all may have our own personal choices uh, in the deal. For me, it was a really tough choice when I was casting my ballot uh, between Charlie Chris and Nikki Freed. 
um, in thinking of, uh, as a chess game of all the other things to take into account, all the other issues that I have and that I support, um, you know, whether it's it's forgiveness of student loans, whether it's, uh, you know, tuition free college, whether it's uh, supporting our teachers and providing more resources to them, um, you know, whether it's ending the war on drugs, providing home grow as, as an alternative, striking down vertical integration. And, and in the grand scheme of things, it, it you know, wound up being almost a crapshoot. Uh, it's, it's, you know, take it down to the wire and you start going issue by issue. And it's a difficult choice because Ron DeSantis, um, ideologically, you know, both of those candidates are, are the antithesis of what he is. The question is, who will have more money? Uh, who is more equipped uh, to beat him at the ballot box in November? And, and that's, a, that's a tough choice to make. And, of course, on the Republican side, there was no primary this year uh, because the incumbent is running alone, which often happens. It, it may not always happen, but it definitely happened here. And everybody else who's running who is going straight to the general election because they're from a particular party, which only had one and has no primary. Now, the problem with primaries that I always see is that you basically have sometimes friends who are going after each other mm-hmm. for the sake of politics. And, of course, we're friends with, with both candidates. We had very nice conversations with both of them. So we can't base it on friendship. You have to base it on the issues and the, the, the idea as to what this man or this woman will do for the issues that are important to you, be it cannabis and hemp and housing and LGBTQ issues or and not starting another culture war, any of that, those, those kind of things. And I'm sorry about it. If, if any candidate uses the word woke, I will stop listening to him immediately. <laughs> because that that word is just word salad word salad <clears throat> and you can actually substitute the word civil rights for woke and really understand what they're saying when they're saying we have to stop all this woke attitude yeah well, <laughs> that's exactly what i hear when i hear ron DeSantis saying uh florida is where wokeness comes to die and i i remember you know when when the term first came into the popular lexicon it was oftentimes used to describe um, people would say to yourself, you know, stay woke, which means pay attention to the institutions um, and the in the subtleness of institutional racism in a lot of ways of what what it meant. And it's gotten so far out of hand that the uh, far right has co-opted it to, to as a blanket term for anything that is pro minority, that is pro working class, that is pro equality, that is pro, you know, uh, pro people. You know, in the grand scheme of things, they've they've allowed it to turn into uh, a boogeyman by by uh, mixing it with uh, critical race theory and other things that just aren't a reality in the school system. And it has allowed them uh, to essentially um, degrade the quality of public education in this state in so many ways. And I mean, we'll get back into these things when the general election comes up. But I got to tell you, just the fact that he that he decided to go ahead and fire Andrew Warren for thinking possibly differently than him shows that the kind of authoritarian government we don't need. Yeah. We do need somebody who's at least partially populist, who actually cares about what his constituents are thinking. So the question is, with Nikki and with Charlie, who is thinking the way you're thinking? Do they- Well, in my, in my dumb laid back Joe Schmo, uh, Joe Stoner view of politics, I look at the two of them and I'm like, well, Nikki's been around for uh, a very little bit of amount of time. Very, she she ha- hardly has a track record in politics. She has a, a record as a lobbyist, of course. 
But as an actual politician, she doesn't have much of a record. Um, Charlie's been around forever. Um, but as far as what Nikki's done, um, she's accomplished more than I think Charlie has as far as our cause is concerned. Um, I don't think Charlie's done actually done anything for cannabis except for uh, 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 put that as part of his platform to try to get elected. You know what I mean? I don't really think he's he's done much for cannabis at all. Like, has he has he put forth any bill any in his term in Congress? Has he like has he done anything? Actually, yes. There's been a number of veterans bills that, that the, the veterans increasing bill. access to uh, to cannabis in in Congress. That are, some of them actually passed, which, okay. is, which is remarkable. He put actually put out two thousand bills over over his two terms, uh, and some of them actually passed, which was impressive considering how often we see so much inaction coming from Congress. And he also did vote yes on the Moore Act uh, both times it's gone through the House, so he does have a record vote of voting to end uh, federal prohibition. He's voted in support of ending uh, federal prohibition, and he he's put a bill for it to to help veterans with cannabis. And, and yeah, one more thing in regards to Nikki, she had done a wonderful job, I think, as a commissioner of agriculture. She's had some very tough issues she had to deal with that were kind of like out of her wheelhouse. <laughs> Everything from uh, amusement park ride safety to other things mm-hmm. uh, that she had to step up to. But as far as the hemp program is concerned, at a time when it when it had to get started and get started uh, properly, I think she did a good job of putting it on its feet. And I worry I, that the the uh, the sole a uh, person who was running for that seat uh, on the Republican side, Wilton Simpson, is not going to think along the same lines. He might just start devolving that particular program, and that would be a shame. I I think all he needs to do is just not do anything. I think he just needs to just like, like okay, I support hemp. I'm not going to touch anything, right? You guys go ahead. You have your industry. I'm a Republican, free business, free business, free business, right? And then all of a sudden the hemp industry evolves, right? There's some new cannabinoid that he doesn't allow to become legal. You know what I mean? There's something new that comes out that he doesn't allow, right? That that he makes up some idea that, and what are you talking about? I'm all for the hemp industry, right? I'm allowing, you know, that's the thing. This business, right, is a business that's constantly moving, constantly evolving, right? Um, all he has to do is do nothing to kill this business. Right. Nikki has done an awesome job uh, of growing and evolving this industry. As as you can tell, I'm voting for Nikki Cree. She's done a good job of growing and evolving this industry as it comes. Right. With no budget, with no budget, no funding. Right. And and with DeSantis as governor. This is true. One of the things I found interesting uh, when we got the opportunity to talk to Nikki and also to talk to Holly Bell was that the Florida GOP in the you know didn't give her a budget uh, to actually run the hemp program. Right. They had to cannibalize other places in the Department of Agriculture to actually have a budget to run a, a, a vibrant hemp program in this state, and that just goes to show you how much and how anti-cannabis. Um, the Florida Republican Party is uh, in the grand scheme of things. And, and the sad part is, is that uh, there are some that actually are taking campaign contributions uh, from True Leave, uh, from Cure Leave, from Certera, uh, from these big multi-state operators uh, that, that are part of the vertical, uh, you know, integrated 
cartel here in Florida. And it's 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 nuts because they're they're anti-cannabis is as long as the, the wheelhouse or the power of the decision making is in the Democrats' hands. Uh, but you know, as long as they're taking checks from from you know the dispensaries yeah. and MMTCs, uh, you know, all of a sudden they're up there being pro-cannabis. It's the hypocrisy is astounding. Well, let's not, let's not forget that the legislature was the one who put together the rules and regulations and statutes for the cannabis program, both the medical program and, uh, and the hemp program. But it's the executive branch that has the power of implementation properly. They're the ones who are in charge of the Department of Health. They're the ones who are in charge of the Department of Agriculture. They're the ones who are in charge of the, the Department of, of Regulated Industries. So all those things that actually can affect the program they all rest within the executive branch. And we need to be careful as to who is in that can of cabinet. So let's talk about briefly about the Commission of Agriculture coming up. Let's not forget where we came from before Nikki, Adam Putnam. God Ooh. bless that little redhead guy. I sat down with him once and he said, hemp just cannot grow in Florida. That's all there is to it. it might be good over in northern climates, but it's never going to grow in Florida. <laughs> just silly, 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 silly. I, I remember like, like seventh generation farmer. <laughs> I remember interviewing him for my master's uh, uh, capstone thesis, and and you know I I went to a uh, 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 let me rephrase that I snuck in to a Florida Power Summit uh, at the J W Griffin Marriott in Orlando, you know very famous, very uh, very uh, upscale place, just to uh, have dinner uh, next to Adam Putnam, wait for him to get up and and you know kind of ambush him, ask him a couple questions, and I asked him what did he think about Amendment Two and, and medical marijuana coming to Florida. He said I hadn't even given it a second thought. Like in his mind, it was never going to happen. And this is the same guy that was taking, you know, five million dollars from the DEA for domestic marijuana eradication in this state. So what yeah, is, uh, I mean, <laughs> exactly. And 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 my concern is that Wilton Simpson is going to step in and swing us back this other way. Uh, Nikki, as Commissioner Axe, taking us in this in this positive direction to where there's thousands of hemp licenses. There's a vibrant hemp industry. Uh, Carlos is a part of that. There's there's hemp growers that are a part of that all across the state of Florida. And and now you know uh, my and, concern with Simpson is he's going to take us back to the days of Putnam. And, and it's, it's to go back on how great Nikki Fried is, right? Um, you know, this this industry is definitely like it, it's it's well regulated and it's very fair. Like, you know, we, we've had the Department of Agriculture in here checking out our products, testing our products, making sure they're safe and honestly not taking any steps to hurt us in any way to make sure that our business does well. Well, right. one of the things I really enjoyed is Holly Bell mentioned that when they came and recall your products, they paid for the products that yeah. they're taking off the shelves rather they than did. hurting you and making you as a business owner take a loss. There, there was one time that they knew that I had a product that they had tested a certain batch, had a certain amount of lead in it, and they wanted to make sure that I had that, that, I, that I did not have that batch, right? So they came, they took that batch off the shelf. That we did have some some of those gummies, right? And they paid for it. <laughs> they paid for all of it. They paid like four hundred dollars for the product, and you know, um, that was absolutely amazing. Like I welcome them when they come in. You know what I mean? And, and one of the great things about the hemp program is we have so many small farmers who've been able to get involved in it. We have what four thousand licenses yeah. out there. Yeah. And let's yeah. not forget that Wilton Simpson uh, is a factory farmer. <laughs> He has, he has a factory farm for eggs over here in Pasco County. 
And he started Egglands Best, and then his family did, and I guess it moved on to another. The fact is, those that are interested in factory farms are more interested in subsidies for large factory farms and pushing out the small farmer. Also, I Gary, to talk about what a factory farm is, right? Like they put chickens in a space no bigger than your laptop, you know, and that's all the room that chicken has. And they feed it a boatload of antibiotics, among other things, it, it, because they literally live their entire lives fat in cages, eating filth. And then you, and then you know, and then you wonder, <laughs> you, you wonder why people get sick sometimes, and you see these recalls on, on meat. I mean, if it's not a pasture raised uh, a chicken, then you, you're in a, you know, a lot of ways, yeah. I mean, that's what you're getting with these factory farms. So, who could be the savior of the of the, the, the hemp program in Florida? Who is running on the Democratic side? We have one candidate that is a farmer that is, is pro pro cannabis and has been involved in the industry from the very beginning on a, on, on a physical and mental basis. And that, of course, is Ryan Morales. The other two, I can't say enough about, because I don't know enough, I don't know, don't know enough about them. Yeah, who are they? <laughs> <laughs> That's just it, they, they have men involved. Okay. If, if, we, if, they, if they'd had any kind of major involvement in that, we would have heard about it. So our, they even could be ghost candidates as far as we know. Unfortunately, because we, we do have those in Florida. So when it comes to the the Commissioner of Agriculture, we do highly recommend, I would think, that you go ahead and, and check off that box next to Ryan Morales' name. There's... Uh, would you agree with that? Gaylot? J.R. Gaylot? And I don't know. We should vote for Ryan Morales. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I'm getting a lot of my information from Ballotopedia which is an excellent, excellent website. It gives you a lot of insight into every single election as to where they've gone, where they're coming from, where the polls are, and gives you a, a very generalized idea without being partisan, which is, which is it's so important when you're, if you're kind of working on that. There's and two Republicans, right? Wilton Simpson and James Sharp. And another guy who couldn't possibly win because Wilton Simpson has, like what, $7.5 million in his war chest for the general election. This guy hasn't even hit 10,000 yet. Well, that's the thing. Like we, we should, I mean, uh, Ryan Morales doesn't have any money, right? Like, <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. We, what he we've seen. What equity into this though. Yeah. Well, what we've seen in the past with, with, um, and this happens sometimes with, with uh, the democratic party in Florida, they don't pay attention to the down ballot, um, cabinet races as much as they should. If the party leadership was smart, they'd have been act actively recruiting and, and you know, trying to handpick their folks for these various cabinet races. But I think, you know, part of it is, um, and if you know anything about the Florida Democratic Party, when the current chairman, Manny Diaz, took over, the party was uh, several thousand dollars in debt. And, and they, they, they couldn't even get their finances right. I mean, they, they didn't have enough money to pay their existing folks' health insurance and such. So Manny Diaz, being a multimillionaire, even had to write checks out of his own pocket just to get the party out of the red. Um, and so I don't think that the Democratic Party has done its due diligence uh, with its down-ballot candidates for the cabinet races in trying to recruit, train, and support. So you get grassroots candidates like Ryan uh, stepping up to the plate, 
Uh, and, and, you know, that we shouldn't hold that against him for being a grassroots candidate when the party has failed to build the infrastructure necessary to put up competitive uh, cabinet races. Unlike the Republicans, they got Wilton Simpson, who's the Senate president, stepping up in this race with, what, uh, you know, close to uh, several million dollars, uh, you know, in his war chest. I definitely have to agree with Barry Gordon here. And, and the point that both of you guys are trying to make is that it doesn't matter who else is there. We've been talking to Ryan Morales and Ryan Morales has been, you know, uh, there and reaching out to the community, even though he's, you know, doesn't have that much money. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we hope it, it does move forward. Let's also not forget one of the reasons that Mickey won last time is because she didn't get money from the Democratic Party, per se. She got money from the cannabis industry and the big players. You know who they are. They they, they put money into her because they knew what, what was what would be coming forward if she got into office. And I guarantee you it wasn't it wasn't the gun rights group, even though she was in charge of, of uh, gun registration, things of that sort. It was the MMTCs putting money into it and the industries that she supported as a lobbyist. So she had the cash and cash means votes in, in this kind of in this election atmosphere i mean that is just the way it is and right now wilton simpson is the only one that has money so what we need to do to have a grassroots candidate is to have you know boots on the ground and and the, and the, and tongues wagging like ours to say you know this guy needs to be looked at and that's exactly where we're coming from now the attorney general's race is another all altogether different thing i think we have some very interesting candidates, uh, two of which are, are the most interesting, of course, is uh, Ms. Uh, Ms. Ayala, who we had on last week, who I think was very, very impressive, both in the in her knowledge of the law and her attitude toward things. Uh, reminded me very much of how Sean Shaw was trying to push his election in the last election before when he lost to Ashley Moody, who also, again, is dominating the race on that side. But we also have Daniel Yofelder, who is a bit of a showboat uh, lawyer, I don't know if you remember that when the uh, the kind of, when the uh, the COVID uh, things first started up, and they wouldn't close the beaches down, he went to what was it Pensacola Beach and walked around in a Grim Reaper outfit. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, he's a good lawyer. I mean, he's no no doubt a very good lawyer. But I don't know what we need showboat lawyers. You know, kind of like the ones you see on Law and Order, which is really kind of fiction because God knows you can't get a a, a trial to come through two days after the person's been arrested. That never happened. So that alone should, you know, make you realize that law and order does not actually meet the uh, the test of being real. But we're talking about the fact that showboat lawyers don't aren't always the best lawyers. And I think Daniel Ufelder, as, as good of a lawyer as he is, I'm not certain he has the gravitas for the for the job. And realizing what position you have to take in Tallahassee to make things happen. We are also used to having a attorney general who's basically the attorney for the for the governor. We we had that we had it very much so with the the previous Barbie doll that used to be in in that office, and uh, Ashley Moody with all, with all of her background and all that bit, I still see her basically pushing the governor's agenda more than anything else. Is that what you see, Chris? Yeah, Ashley Moody as Attorney General um, has done nothing for the people in her term. She has been uh, Ron DeSantis' mouthpiece and has backed up. Um, you know, through the legal power of her office, uh, his twisted and warped agenda, uh, you know, across the country, in a lot of ways, has been one of the biggest waster of Floridians' tax dollars uh, that we've had in many years. 
Now, I did try to get her to go ahead and put together a conf- conference and get involved in a conference to discuss cannabis for opioid uh, remediation because that was one of her issues when she first got involved. So here we are uh, at the end of the term. What has happened in regards to opioid remediation? Have you really seen anything, any programs other than throwing out more Narcam out there that has really been effective in, in reducing this opioid epidemic? Because to be honest with you guys, it's getting worse. Only now it's, it's more fentanyl than it was just the opioids before. It's, it's creeping in. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And this stuff is dangerous as hell. So we know that cannabis does work for opioid poisoning. We know it, it, it was that way in the 1880s. It's that way now. But if, if we have somebody who's willing to ignore that, then we have to ignore the other things that, she's, that he or she is talking about. So I think at, at that aspect, where, where do you stand between you, Felder, and Ayala, guys? Well, look, in the grand scheme of things, um, I'm looking at, you know, Aramis Ayala going up against Ashley Moody, woman to woman, is is a, is a great point um, there. More than that, um, Aramis, um, I just, I really like her attitude and what she said. I like her approach to justice and jurisprudence. But more than that, uh, her experience being pulled over, profiled, and treated like dirt by the cops in her own district you know, as she's going home, gives a unique perspective that I think a Florida attorney general's office has never had. And and so her being able to step into the office as a woman of color, someone who's been profiled by the police and now become the top cop would give her a, a you know, a significant advantage in advocating for um, equal justice and civil rights in our state, far beyond just electing another balding white guy uh, to the office. Just my opinion. I mean, I... It... I, we can we can sit here all day and talk about the people that should be in there. I think we all can agree that Aramis is is the proper choice. It's just is she going to win? Is well, that a possibility? That's like, a good point. Yeah, I mean yeah. she's raised eighty five thousand dollars compared to Ufelder's one hundred and fifty two thousand dollars, right? But just Aramis only has had four hundred and thirty five like unique donors compared to this guy having over 2,700. So, you know, also the fact that her donors give much more, that people heavily invest in her more says a lot about her rather than a whole bunch, you know, uh, rather than this other guy. So, so I mean, money. she's, she's, she's a viable choice. She's a yeah. If I'm not mistaken, she's also Shaquille O'Neal's cousin. So she, oh, she really? she's, yeah, she's got, she's got access to big money if she needs to tap it. So I think in the general election, she can definitely be competitive and kick Ashley Moody's ass out of office. Very cool. Very, very, very. Cool. Okay. Well, let's move out of the executive branch and let's go ahead and start talking about. Well, well, hold on, Gary. We got one executive race we didn't cover. Uh, the uh, CFO. Well, you know, we don't have any primaries there. Ah, okay. So who's the, who's the Democratic candidate for CFO then? Adam Hattersley. Adam Hattersley, uh, he's, he's uh, been a, a, a friend and uh, and an ally uh, when he was in the state house. Uh, so I, I'm I'm looking forward to him being able to uh, uh, take it to the CFO's office for us. And Jimmy Petronas is running again. So <laughs> he he is what he is, and I, I think we can use a breath of fresh air in that particular office, which is a very dynamic and expansive office. They do everything from being the fire marshal to God knows what else. I think they're, they're, they're in charge of animal control, too, as well as being the, the chief financial officer. But we, we definitely need somebody you know, more sparkling than Ad, Alex Sink, although she was a good, a good uh, 
a good uh, person to watch over our money, so to speak, with with her banking background. And that is, but that's only one part of the CFO and what, what they have to do. Now, as far as the Senate is concerned, we have one Senate race. Uh, Rubio ran unopposed, so he has no primary. Uh, on the Democratic side, though, we have four candidates. We have Vale Demings, the, uh, the former police chief of, of uh, Orange County and currently uh, the uh, con- congressman also in the uh, the big January 6th committee and all that bit. She went in various trials for the impeachments. And we have uh, one of our favorite folks, Rocky Ricardo de la Fuente, who is, is a uh, perennial candidate. And Brian Rush and also a gentleman by the name of William Sanchez, who I don't think between the three of them, have they got as much uh, support right now as Val Deming says? Is that what you've seen? The, the Democratic Party establishment is all lined up uh, behind Val Demings. Uh, I even got a, a phone call the other day. Uh, you know, they, they're like, hey, are you going to help canvas for Val Demings in Seminole Heights? And I'm like, well, I'm out of town at the moment. Um, and, you know, and I, I, you know, I voted for Val Demings uh, with, you know, with protest. I said that to her, her people. I was like, look, they're like, well, what's your reservation? I said, well, one, I wanted her to rein in her husband, uh, 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 Jerry Devins, who is now the, uh, you know, uh, was it county mayor or executive? County yeah, mayor. County, county mayor of Orange County. Because when he was the sheriff, in 2015, he held a press conference that said that there were ed- marijuana edibles in the kids' Halloween candy. And there's nothing that infuriates me more than to see sheriffs in their uniforms saying such bullshit and wasting my tax dollars while they're doing it. Because he's in that uniform, he's getting paid by my tax dollars to sit there and tell me that there's there's marijuana edibles in the Halloween candy, which is just, just is a bold-faced lie, scare tactic, uh, among other things. So, um, you know, Val just needs to rein in her husband's rhetoric and bullshit. But other than that, um, she has voted for the Moore Act uh, in her time, you know, in Congress. So, you know, uh, it's just a hell of a lot better than Rubio, who uh, won't even send a a positive or return emails uh, from normal when we send them to him. (laughs) I did try to get uh, Vail on the show for the primary. And basically what they were they were telling us is that, you know, let's talk after the primary. So Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that that they're already uh, in that mode. But of course, you got to get out the vote. You got to get past the primary, and hopefully, we will be getting a hard part from uh, Congresswoman Denny's Demings in in the near future. Now, the rest of the congressional races and the state races, it gets kind of fractioned here because of the fact that now it's not the entire state voting for that one particular candidate like it is with these statewide candidates for <laughs> for Senate and for the executive branch. So you actually have to actually have to be in that person's district in order to vote for them. Mm-hmm. And that really does change the dynamics of almost every single race. Now, just talking about District 1, <laughs> Matt Gates's district right now. Now, he has, uh, I believe, it, three or four candidates going up against him because they all feel that you know, he can't run from jail, although we have had plenty of candidates run from jail. <laughs> so we're, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens with that. Now, as far as the uh, the other two candidates right now, well, we had one of them on our show. We had Rebecca Jones, who uh, went up against uh, our governor when he was putting out false information in regards to COVID. That's what a shocker there, huh? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, after we were told that um, she was actually disqualified because she originally ran, uh, was registered as an independent, 
and then she didn't run she didn't change to democratic in time you have to be 365 days a democrat before you can actually run for that however she said she's always been a democrat she was trying to run as an independent <clears throat> and then when she saw that she had to be 365 days she went back to running as a democrat hmm. and she claims that she didn't actually even sign anything stating that she was officially uh voting as an independent ever so that that is still being debated and i'm not certain how that's going to work out because she's still on the ballot as far as i know and we still and she still has a chance of being voted for and the lady of course who uh, is, is up against her in the primary is the one who filed a lawsuit against her to have her disqualified from the race approximately a month and a half after qualification week why would it take a month and a half for the for the uh the uh, supervisor elections disqualify a candidate uh you know i i would think that uh if you got your stuff together you've done your opposition research you know you'll be ready with lawsuits uh as soon as you figure out you know what's happening with them uh so i, I can't really speak to to that but uh it, it lets me know that maybe that candidate and the, their campaign uh doesn't have it all together so and i do believe at least some of the candidates we have but someone had just mentioned that in Pasco County, we actually have a uh, a <clears throat> well-known uh, neo-Nazi who is running for the uh, the school board. Now, That's he won't ludicrous. Yeah, he he won't change the curriculum one bit, will he? Uh, that's the sad part is that, yeah, when you have Nazis running for school board and yet, uh, you know, the, the, the curriculum that you see Governor DeSantis espousing uh, aligns with those folks in a lot of ways. And that is just uh, it's disgusting. I mean, we, we literally have had millions of people give their lives over a war uh, to fight these bastards. And now we're electing them to office and we're, we have their policies uh, uh, going mainstream. It's, it's just it's disgusting. Now on District Three, which is up again, still up there in the in the Panhandle, uh, we have uh, two Democratic candidates, uh, Danielle Hawk and, and Tom Wells, and three Republicans, including the uh, <clears throat> the incumbent Cat Kamek, who I would think that if if Cat Kamek was a stand up uh, a standout uh, Congress person, you would have heard more about him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you you would think, but then again, I don't vote in the Panhandle. I I'm about as far from Santa Rosa County person as you could ever imagine. I'm always knocking down Pensacola, calling it a one horse town and the horses on meth. But that that is just our our, pan, our panhandle. It's a different section of the state. You got to have respect for them. But uh, yeah. I mean, they, they're still dealing with trying to get money back for uh, from Hurricane Michael, which from what I understand, they still don't have the money back yet for hmm. all their down uh, pine forest and things of that sort. So we don't really have a, any kind of an issue in regards to the, the uh, District 3. District 4, well, that's, uh, let's see, it's, um, we got we got uh, three, uh, yeah, we got three Republican candidates, one of which is Aaron Bean. Aaron, uh, Aaron well, Bean has been a, a very interesting candidate over the last few years. Now, he actually is somewhat pro-cannabis. Really? He, he votes with Brandis a lot. Okay. But he is also highly, highly conservative. So he's kind of like a Danny Rohrbacher kind of candidate. Mm. So yeah, you, you have to wonder about where he's at, where exactly he's coming from. As far as the uh, Democratic candidates, Anthony Hill, LaShonda Holloway, I don't have much information on them. You? Well, uh, Tony Hill was previously in the Florida legislature. Um, you know, 
one of the things that stuck out to me about him uh, was he had a, a bill that wanted to ban pit bulls as a breed in the state of Florida. And I was not a fan of, uh, of him, uh, you know, championing that, but, you know, as far as, uh, you know, the politics that, and how that shakes out in North Florida, we'll see what happens. Okay. District seven. This is an interesting, uh, district that actually has a couple of interesting races. We actually spoke with Al Krulik, who's running, uh, for the Democratic primary against Tatiana Fernandez, Karen Green, and Alec Pertrana. On the Democratic side, they have a huge, huge list of people that are going up, uh, up against uh, to get that, which include including one of our favorite people, Anthony Sabatini. Oh, you mean on the Republican side? Okay. On the Republican side. You know, yeah. I don't think he'd ever be on the Democratic side. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this is a guy, if you were a single-issue voter, and strictly cannabis, you probably would vote for Anthony Sabatini because he's always been, he actually had a legalization bill in this last session and the, yeah. the, the session before that. But the dude crazy. Yeah. And uh, last yeah. year, they actually put his office next to the janitor's closet in the basement of the house building because nobody wanted to have an office next to him. That's interesting. Well, you know, a uh, funny thing, uh, my aunt by marriage, my uncle's wife, uh, has a nephew that's actually in that Republican primary, Brady Duke, who's running against uh, Sabatini. So, <laughs> Yeah, we got, we got aunt Erica Benfield, Brady Duke, uh, Ted Edwards, Corey Mills, Russell Roberts, aunt Al Santos, and Scott Sturgill. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if that's uh, of the of the that family of Sturgill's. Uh, well, the, the, uh, you know, from what I've seen in that race uh, on the Republican side, it's supposed to wind up between Mills and Sabatini. Um, and so hopefully Al, you know, Al's going to have his, his work cut out for him uh, should he, you know, uh, triumph in the Democratic primary. And that's an interesting race, again, because this is Stephanie Murphy's seat. So this is definitely one that the Republicans want to flip. Yeah, and, and it's possible to flip because Stephanie uh, has not been a progressive champion. Uh, she's a blue dog Democrat. Um, so, you know, she's been very conservative in how she governs and, and how she chooses to, uh, you know, uh, to champion legislation. So this is basically an open seat, and this is going to be an interesting open race. District 9, that's Darren Soto. He's, uh, of course, he didn't have any primary. But the Republicans have uh, Jose Castillo, Scotty Moore, Adianas Morales and Sergio Ortiz. Well, Darren ha has has been a champion for cannabis reform. Uh, you know, he helped uh, when in his his time in the Florida legislature. Uh, you know, champion and uh, in, in challenging vertical integration, um, and also advocating for uh, black farmers to get you know uh, their slot and their license sooner rather than later. So, uh, all in all, uh, Darren Soto is the right guy uh, in the general for that. Uh, District 10, we got uh, Jason Hollick uh, and uh, Yusha Jean, we're, we're both non-party affiliates, and a huge stack of uh, Republican uh, Democratic candidates, including uh, <clears throat> Randolph Bracey, Corinne Brown, uh, Maxwell ha uh, Alejandro Frost, who I understand is polling ahead of everybody, Terrence Gray, Alan Grayson, Natalie Jackson, Khalid Munir, uh, Teresa Teshon. And this is because this is Val Deming's seat. Mm -hmm. And we're, and they are throwing every little piece of spaghetti against the wall right now to see which is going to stick. Now, Bracey has always been a, a, a very staunch, solid candidate in the, in the legislature. Um, Al Grayson, I mean, he was he's kind of stood out in the Congress when he was in there. But 
be honest with you, on a personal level, the man's a mean guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's been uh, uh, accused of wife beating more than once. So, yeah, I mean, he's a, different, different wives, though, I think, right? <laughs> you know, um, and then there's Corinne Brown, who actually went to jail for corruption uh, yeah. as a congresswoman and now wants the seat back. So, shocker there, right? And now, Aaron Mussiello actually was going to run for this particular seat, but I think she saw the field and she said, screw it, I'm out of here. I'm going for, <laughs> for attorney general. I think I think Aramis made the right move, and I, I hope uh, Aramis pulls through in the primaries, make a great attorney general. Now, the Republican candidates, uh, right now we have uh, Tuang Lee, uh, Thuy Lo, uh, William Montague, and a guy who had a great name, but I'm not certain he has the right policy, Peter Weed. <laughs> Would have been an awesome name on the ballot. <laughs> so, so that, I mean, that, that has been a nasty race from what I understand as far as the primary is concerned. There's been all sorts of false videos going out all sorts of misinformation going out. I mm-hmm. think that I think that Alan Grayson dropped off a threatening letter to Frost's house or his parents' house, uh, telling him to back out of the race or to, to, to stop attacking him, whatever. That's why I hate primaries sometimes. They, they just get so, so nasty. Yeah. Especially people in, the own, in their own party. Uh, District 11, you got Daniel Webster as the incumbent who's going up, who's going up against Laura Loomer. Are you familiar with Laura Loomer? Uh, no, uh, didn't even realize Laura Loomer was, was the candidate in that one. Oh, in, in, in the, in the Republican side. Okay. On the Republican yeah. side. Yeah. Oh, that's why I hadn't known anything. About yeah. Shantae Munns is a Democratic candidate for that and yeah. has no, has no uh, challenger district. Well, we got uh, Kim Walker. That's my district, by the way, who is a very nice lady and she's running uh, against nobody. So she's, she's going to be the Democratic candidate. Uh, but in the Republican side, we have Gus Rackus, who's been in the incumbent now, oh, geez, for almost what, 10 years now. And before that was his father, Mike Villarakis, so. Exactly. And the, everybody else is pretty much, does not, it has no funding. So you can pretty much walk your way through that one to see how that's going to end up. Now, I'm going to skip over here to, I think, one of the most interesting ones in the Congress is District 15. District 15 is a new district. And we... Uh, actually had one of the candidates, Eddie Geller, here a few days ago. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, who, who, Carlos, who obviously has gone out to get himself a veggie Cuban, uh, it, it was very enamored of only because of it. He said that at one point in time, he was a stand-up comedian. <laughs> but Eddie has actually been a, a, a staunch grassroots candidate for several elections right now and has also helped people out with their campaigns and elections themselves, doing the video, doing the marketing. So he knows how to market a campaign. He actually had a a, a '90s sitcom style uh, opening uh, uh, campaign ad, which you probably saw, which was which was cute as hell. But but the guy is sharp as a tack. He really really is, and he actually has a certain <laughs> a certain level of uh, attitude about him. I think that would be very refreshing in that. Now we also got Al Cohn running against that. Al has, has run a couple times. In, in different districts, because this is a new district. A couple. He, <laughs> yeah, he was a, a uh, he's now an anchor man, I guess, over in Sarasota. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, yeah. And and he's been he was been, he's been an investigative reporter, and he's a very very good journalist. I, I like the guy. Uh, it just his affect to me is always kind of flat. And you, you got to kind of have some charisma nowadays to stand out in Congress to actually get some things done. Because you can just sit back and blend in with the audience, and then what is your what is your 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 vote worth at that point in time? 
Well, you know, the thing about uh, Cohn is that he's never in a general election been competitive. Um, I mean, he was beaten by 20 points in 2014 uh, by Dennis Ross. And then again, you know, he lost uh, by, by 11, you know, 10, 11 points uh, to Scott Franklin in, in, uh, in 2020. And Scott Franklin, he was the incumbent for this district, kind of. Uh, now he's in the, now he's in another district. Yeah. And uh, by the way, in on the Republican side, there uh, we have Laurel Lee, who I understand is is taken off as far as being in charge of that. That's Tom Lee's wife, mm. and who was this, the uh, Secretary, Secretary of State. Secretary of State. Yeah, for for here, and also in there is Kelly Stargell and uh, Jackie Toledo. So it, it's a it's a diverse Republican field there, but it does seem like Laurel Lee seems to be taking off, in part because she has so much money behind her. Having a husband who used to be president of the Senate doesn't hurt. No, not or at being all. Secretary of State, so she's, people do know the name, and it'll be an interesting race on, on both sides. District Seventeen, unless Greg Stubbe, most likely he's going to walk away with it. I'm sure his his dad, the sheriff, is going to make certain that everybody everything goes his way. <laughs> District 18, uh, that's, that's where Scott Franklin is now. And he's running against Jennifer Rayburn and uh, uh, Wendy Schmeling on the, uh, on the Republican side. Yeah, and there's no Democrats running in that race. So There is you know, no Democrats running in that race. So that, that's that area, that's di- at that district. And that's just the way things are going to go. Mm-hmm. District 19, is where we've got Cindy uh, Bagnai, who came, was on our show. And uh, you you got to listen to her, her story. Very interesting lady, very very smart. Yeah. She is the a political scientist, so I can appreciate that. Well, we wish her well in the general against Byron Donalds. So. Yeah, Byron Donalds is a nut job. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you if you if you heard too much about Byron Donalds, but uh, he's <laughs> you, you well, have I, to believe it kind of thing. Yeah, he's uh yeah. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say this much. He's, he's not pro cannabis. Uh, he, he, uh, you know, the, the guy has not voted, uh, for, you know, um, he voted for the safe act, which was interesting, but you don't see him voting for the more act. You don't see him voting for, you know, equality act. You don't see him voting, uh, for the women's uh, protection act. So it's a, he's, he's definitely an interesting dude. And I think he was also in blacks for Trump too. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. he he uh, he has definitely came up as a one of the few uh, African American uh, uh, Trump supporters in the U.S. Congress. Yeah, two more districts that that are, that are of interest. Uh, District twenty, uh, we have uh, uh, Sheila Cherifus McCormick, who's the incumbent, running against Dale Holness and Anika Tene Umfry, which is a representative, a state representative here, who actually uh, had an argument with. Uh, Carlos Guillermo Smith saying he was too uh, vicious. Well, you know, uh, I've had, um, you know, uh, conversations with Anika, uh, you know, uh, at Leadership Blue and and in, you know, Democratic conventions. And um, she's pro cannabis. So that's a good thing. Um, But, you know, all in all, um, you know, uh, we'll see how that that race ends up shaking out. You know, anytime you're taking on a uh, incumbent, it's uh, oftentimes hard to unseat them in the primary. And and last but not least, we have district. Oh, actually, we have two more districts. District twenty one. That's uh, that's Brian Mast. Mm, okay. And I, I don't I don't see him being shaken off of his throne. 
although he does have uh, uh, three candidates going up against him on the Republican side. And the Democratic side has no no uh, no primary because Corinna Robinson uh, took that all by herself. Well, you know, uh, Corinna Robinson, uh, you know, has uh, some ties in Washington. I mean, you know, serving 25 years in the Army. Uh, she's done anti-terrorism work. She's worked at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Uh, so, you know, she she definitely has the uh, foreign policy chops uh, to serve in Congress for sure. Now, Louis Frankel is over in District 22, which is one of those areas where you, you say, how is it a Democrat is able to survive in that district? But it, because it, 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 that's where you get into that part of Southern Florida, where suddenly you see a lot more Democrats kind of popping out of thin air as you as you move south. The uh, the remnants of the pan uh, boat lift, I think, have a lot to do with that, putting it in a nice way. <laughs> and uh, then we have uh, District 23, which is Scott Napier. And I'm sorry, uh, um, that, that that is a, a open thing because we have no incumbent there. We have a guy named Ira Weinstein running in the uh, Republican side. Michael Trout, Ben Sorensen. But I think the real stand-up here was, is Jared Evan Moskowitz, who I think did as best as he could as the head of a FEMA over here. And uh, he, he he had it rough going. But we, we, he, he managed over there. And, of course, District 24, that's Frederica Wilson. And she's, right, she's going up against pretty much nobody. 25, well, 25, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Why she's still in that position, I still don't know. People say she brings the bacon home. Um, you know, she brings the funding. So, I mean, you know, uh, for his, her anti-cannabis stances, uh, I, she's never been a fan of mine. And, um, you know, it, it, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, hopefully someday soon somebody will be strong enough in the primary to take her down. Uh, but, you know, all in all, it looks like she's going to cruise away to re-election. And District 26, that's where you have... Uh... Mario Diaz Balart going up against and a Democrat in the, in the general because she's not was not was not challenged with the last name of Olivo of, of the cigar family I do believe but actually a Democrat which makes it a very makes for a very interesting race and of course District Twenty Seven is where Annette today was running and she's running up to to knock out uh, Maria Elvira Salazar so yeah. And interesting, you know, that uh, that primary originally, you know, uh, Ken Russell was trending, um, you know, pretty solid in that to net jumped in that race. And uh, and so it's really between Russell and Tadeo as the two leading candidates in that race uh, in the primary. And the last election, we have Robert Asensio, who is a, a Puerto Rican gentleman who used to also be a state legislator. And he is running against a Juan Paredes and going up against Carlos Jimenez, who is the incumbent. And that's going to be a rough race again because that is that area where it is highly Republican, and it, that area pretty much did switch Florida to the Trump side. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's Homestead and the, and the Florida Keys, and also you know it cuts across the state uh, to that the you know the, the very southwest uh, part of Florida, you know more southern than Naples. Now we sucked up our whole hour here. We haven't even gotten to the state legislative races, though. So, who who do you like to, to talk about in regards to, uh, say, for instance, the state senate or the state house that you like to see moving forward? Well, you know, uh, there's an interesting race in District 62. Uh, you got you know Wendy Newton, you got Michelle Rayner, 
and so, you know, that's that's going to be an interesting primary uh, to see who shakes out there. Um, in the grand scheme of things, uh, I'm putting my support uh, behind Michelle Rayner. I think that uh, she has the right attitude and the right voting record uh, to be pro-cannabis and to support us. Also, that she's pro-teacher. So, I'm just grateful that she went out of the congressional race and came back into the state legislature. I can't tell you how many times the Democratic Executive Committee has taken candidates who were good, solid legislators and said, run for Congress. And they mm. run for Congress and they lose. And we have one less person doing the right job in state legislature. It's true. That's it's true. That happened with, with, uh, with, with Adam Hattersley. He was doing a fantastic job. Yep. And they said, you know, go ahead and run for Congress. And he had a very rough election. Well, and more than that, they, they put him in a primary against Alan Cohn. And then, you know, Cohn came out and won on that. So it's like, how do you recruit someone to win in a primary? I mean, to, to run in the race and you don't even help him win a primary, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Now we don't. Not obviously, not all the senates or uh, seats are, are open in this particular thing because the Senate doesn't have to uh, run every two years. But are there any senate seats, uh, senate races you're you're interested in looking at? Um. Well, <laughs> you know, interesting enough, uh, I'm still looking through the House races. I mean, there's a hundred and twenty of them, um, and I'm just wondering if there were any that uh, you know would make an impact here on us. Um, and, you know, just in the Bay Area, I think that District 62 race is the only one we have in Central Florida uh, that really has any type of uh, open seats or primaries. And we got Mike Minority who's running. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Gary. Mike Minority. You know, uh, Mike Minority is running as a Republican, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what I do have a problem with Mike Minority is that he in his social media has been supporting Ron DeSantis wholeheartedly. And my thing is this, Mike, and Carlos, you can have that bleep ready if you need to, but if you're going to suck Ron DeSantis's dick on social media, yeah, I guess that, <laughs> I then, 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 then in all, in all seriousness, you have disqualified yourself in my opinion of being taken as a serious candidate uh, when it comes to champion cannabis. And so, you know, if he wants to sell his soul to the devil, you know, I mean, it'd be one thing if he was running as like a Brandish style Republican with a little bit of a libertarian approach. But nah, he's gone full retard, uh, in the words of Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> uh, from Tropic Thunder. And you never go full retard. I mean, so. the, the only way that I can make an argument in support of Mike is that he's doing it to appeal to... And, but you you see you see like if I if I make this argument that he's doing it to to appeal to this new voter and like this new majority in Florida, then I'm automatically kind of calling him a sellout. Ah, uh, well, there's a shocker there. So I mean, I I like Mike. I think Mike's a, a, an all right guy. I think if he's elected, he's uh, he he's. <laughs> You know, I, I I think he's gonna do a good job, but I mean, I I don't, I I, I don't know what he's thinking running as a DeSantis supporting Republican, because here's the thing, and like this this DRS medal thing here, he was he was a Democrat, hardcore Democrat, not that long ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
so I, I I don't understand. And like, yeah, and, and Mark Santiago, I'm kind of glad that he's not now commenting. We are kind of eating our own. I mean, Minardi, here's the facts too, is Minardi is normal. He he's part of a normal chapter. So mm -hmm. we're as a normal chapter, we're we're looking at this kind of strange. Um and he ran regulate Florida. This campaign went further than any other marijuana campaign in the state right like this other than medical marijuana adult use legalizing campaign this campaign went further than any other campaign as an attorney he's done more for medical marijuana reform than any other attorney has so i mean there's a lot of positives about him i just don't understand i don't understand it nope yep. yeah and there's been a lot of people i know who have run as a, as a republican and once they get in there, they realize that why you gotta be mean, Mark. You're so mean. That's why people don't take you seriously because you're mean. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the Republican machine in Tallahassee is such that you could be a moderate or you could be even a liberal Republican and go in there and you will be told exactly what to vote for and when to vote for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there there have been Democrats I know who who have run in and have become on the legislature in order to move up or to get chairmanships or to get the, the things they want to get done they have to follow the rules they have to follow what the speaker wants and, and, you, and you find guys like i'm sorry uh mr duran i mean he moved his way up to being head of the health and human services committee but he had to do, make a lot of sacrifices for that yeah he, he had to do things that weren't exactly in his in his wheelhouse and make it seem like he was all for them in order to make things happen because the majority party rules in Tallahassee. And until we get a more even split, things are going to be difficult for anybody who wants to be in there, be in there and be a moderate. So Mike might run it as a Demo as a Republican and might be a rhino, but once he gets in there, he'll find himself being forced to vote the way that the speaker wants or the way the Senate president wants. And that yeah. is a fact of the way things work in Tallahassee. And, and, and if you don't, you'll get stripped of your chair. Uh, you can get stripped of your committees. I mean, they'll pull you off of committees if they don't think you're, they got the votes. Because in some of these committees, the votes can be so tight um, in, in some key committees that if they think you'll vote with the other side, they'll, they'll pull you off of them. So uh, uh, back to what Carlos's original thought, I have no idea what his strategy is. It doesn't seem sound. Um, you know, but you know, if you're looking for a pro cannabis Republican, oh, the, there is the he is the one in that race. Um, but I, you know, as far as the general election go, I'll be supporting Jen McDonald in that race. And as far as eating their own, I mean, I'm I am not a fan of closed primaries because, uh, but then again, open primaries, some folks tend to screw them up. They might vote for the other side because I think they're voting for somebody who can't possibly win. They're using the wrong strategy. You're supposed to vote for the person you want to see in office. And if, you, if you're if going to screw up open primaries that way, that's the way it goes. But I don't believe this whole idea about eating your own. I believe in voting for the person you think is the right person, regardless of party. And also, down to. you know, uh, when, when he said about, you know, eating your own, look, if you can't look at your own people in your own political party and hold them to account, then you're no better than you know than, than than the people that you're espousing that you say you're running against that that you have the moral high ground against. We have to be able to criticize 
people from within our own party. And like you said earlier, Gary, I've gotten a lot of flat from the Florida Democrats on doing that. But my thing is that I can't in good conscience support a candidate. It looks like a carbon copy of the people on the other side. And just because they have my flag or, or that letter an affiliation, that that's the reason I should be voting for them. You know, um, some folks say that close primaries are an issue. Ranked choice voting uh, could help. What I really think would solve a lot of our issues in Florida is if we had primary runoffs. So often people can win a primary with not getting a majority of the voters in that district. I know because I've been I've been in that type of primary and that the person that wins only has 30, 40 percent of the vote. And they're really not a great candidate. No one really likes them, but they ended up just getting 1% more or one more vote than the, all the everybody else. If we had primary runoffs, if you were required to get a majority in the primary to be that party's candidate, I think that would solve a lot of the issues. It also would make wheeling and dealing within the parties uh, a, a more collaborative and would make folks work together better. Yeah, don't vote against somebody. Vote for somebody. I mean, I, I get so tired of hearing people, well, I had to vote for the lesser of two evils. If there's two evils, don't vote for either of them. <laughs> Plain and simple. Screw it. Send him a package of, uh, of meat from uh, Chris's back porch and, and to say it's done for the day. <laughs> uh, well, you know, moving on to the Florida Senate. Uh, there really isn't that many uh, seats that have some type of open seat or, or, or some type of contest that matters. But there is one in, uh, in, 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 in uh, Central Florida in District 15 between Camille Brown and Geraldine Thompson. Um, I don't really have a preferred pick in that race. Uh, both have been solid uh, Florida legislators uh, for many years. Uh, both have an extensive voting record. So we'll see uh, who ends up triumphing in, in that one. So, Gary, did you have any Florida Senate races that you wanted to highlight that you thought were uh, important? Yeah, I'm going back to it right now. Hold on a second. All right. State Senate. There we go. I just want to take a moment because uh, I had issues with my internet earlier, and I was trying to, like, say something, and I thought Gary was ignoring me, but he wasn't. He just couldn't hear me. Um, but I, I uh, can't vote for any of these people because I am no party affiliation in this prime. This doesn't mean shit to me. Yeah. Just wanted to point that out. And, and Carlos, you, you and like, I want to say like close to 35% of the voters in Florida are disenfranchised uh, from voting right now um, uh, from these primaries. Um, there are primary uh, uh, races that you do have the ability to vote for, like judges, school board, other nonpartisan races. But yeah, any races having to do with Republicans or Democrats, you, you know, as an MPA, you're carved out of voting for right now. So it doesn't mean shit. So is this really like uh, representing all the people? Yeah, good point. Do closed primaries represent all the people? No. Why do we have closed primaries? Well, historically, they're a holdover from the Civil War. Uh, be, they're, they're a holdover from what used to be called white primaries. Uh, you know, in, in the state of Florida, in, in fact, uh, to vote in, in the Democratic primary a long time ago, you had to be a white dude. Uh, you know, it was part of the a way of uh, former Confederates uh, fighting against Reconstruction and, and against integration. And we still have that to this day. It's still disenfranchising millions of voters in this state by having closed primaries. There are not too many Senate primaries. I'll be honest with you. There, most of them are, are running unopposed mm -hmm. or are running with somebody who was unopposed earlier. So they, there, there was no primary in the first place. 
Well, there is one to highlight, I think, two of them, actually. Uh, Shervin Jones in 34, who has been, uh, you know, a, a solidly uh, pro-cannabis, uh, who's being challenged in his primary. And then yes, Lauren yeah. Book, uh, who's being challenged in her primary. Uh, do, but, the, do the people running for Senate unopposed, like, are, are do they skew towards one political party? Um, in District 26, you got two you got two Republicans running against Laura Berman, who's running unopposed. Mm-hmm. The rest of it are all, you know, one against the other. There was no no, no primary at all. Yeah, Joe oh, Sears is actually running against I, one I guy, see. but there's no way he's going to win. I'm in yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Nonsense. You're just, you know, part of the stoner party. <laughs> well, you know, I find it interesting enough that the, the Florida Democrats, uh, you know, don't find the time uh, to find candidates to run. And you have, I'm looking just at the state Senate list, probably by at least five, six, seven, uh, up to eight uh, races where there's no one challenging the Republican incumbent. Um, so just to show that, again, we went, we started talking about redistricting at the beginning of the show. And, and that's, this is part of the reason. I mean, you have eight seats that are just said that they're not even competitive. They're going to be Republicans representing them regardless. And, and the Democratic Party doesn't even take the time to field anybody. Yeah, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is anti-cannabis because she takes a lot of money from the alcohol lobby. That, that, that is pretty much, and I, I'm not sure that she takes any from GEO, but I'm pretty sure she takes a lot of money from the, from the alcohol lobby. And that's been that way for a long time. And I don't really think that's going to change. And I don't even see our friend in the, uh, what is this, Dylan, uh, the guy from uh, from Delray Beach that, that we went to his uh, thing over at the, at the Greek restaurant. What is his name? The, the law professor. Oh, wow. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember going to that event, Gary. So that's how I was like, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think that means that we've told them everything we know about uh, politics in Florida. <laughs> Here's the deal. We got a general coming up after this. So once we get things straightened out as far as the primary is concerned, we're going to kick into high gear and give you some good ideas in regards to all those general races, which will be a little more, I think, succinct. And there'll be less eating of their own, which is basically what a primary is all about. Yeah. Yeah. In grand scheme of things, it's about who is going to be the best banner waiver, uh, who's going to bring the seat home, um, to flip it because in, you know, in the grand scheme of things, um, it's really the American political system is locked in a battle between the Republican and democratic parties, uh, third party candidates, you know, don't get any TV time. They, they, they don't get hardly any attention. And in many ways, um, they play spoilers in, in some of these races in a lot of ways. And one of the things that really irritates me about Florida is how, um, open primaries are possible if there's no one running in the other seat, like we see so often, but they use the write-in candidate loophole. And so you have write-in candidates who have no hope in hell of ever getting elected, uh, preventing so many voters uh, from, from the other side of the aisle, so many independents like Carlos, no party affiliates, from being able to vote in these primaries, which essentially will decide who the actual um, candidate's gonna be. And that's just wrong. Now, we didn't go after any of these school boards or uh, any of the nonpartisan races, all the judges all over the place. And they're confusing because you have so few, uh, so many candidates who don't have the money to really get their message out. 
I would suggest if if you're in the area, look up your your local uh, League of Women Voters. They do have a listing of information in regards to those particular candidates, so you can make an informed decision as whether a judge should be retained and whether a school board member is a Nazi or not, <laughs> which which definitely helps helps to know. And there will be no ballot initiatives of uh, this particular election because it's a primary, but there are county ballot initiatives like millages. And just because you have kids that are no longer in, in the public school, don't vote down the millage, dudes. They still need the damn money. And they're, no, they're not charter schools, so they can't get that kind of money that way. So definitely, if you see a millage on there, vote for it. Read, the, read those uh, local images, uh, those local ballot initiatives, and move forward. And if you want us to have a better production values, if you want us to have a beep button that actually goes on when we're actually swearing and not afterwards, <laughs> listen the fuck up. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. We need additional funding to help out. And that's why we have a what is called a Patreon account. Now, <laughs> Chris is going to tell us where you can go to the Patreon account and what it's all about and what you can do as a patron of this show. That's right. Carlos, flash that link to our Patreon. So look, if you become a member of Suncoast Normal's Patreon, you're definitely going to help support our mission in, in getting out the word here on the rotation. Uh, we'll definitely give you a mention on the show. Uh, we're looking forward to you know being able to give you the opportunity to also participate on the show uh, with a greater level. We got three tiers right now that you can contribute to. Um, it, with the highest tier, even giving the opportunity for us to take a small pitch, a commercial for your brand uh, here on the show. So by all means, go to our Patreon page, become a, a donated member, and uh, and help support the rotation. See, here's a, here's the deal: we have interviews, not commercials, right? So. Generally, when we have somebody on, it's not because they paid us to say, yeah, our product is great when it's boof. Yeah, we're not going to do that shit to you guys. Where's the beep? Oh, Anyways. It's even better. It's even better when you're late, Carlos. I can't can do everything in this be a patron of the art, not a patron of the farts. All right, that's the way, way it works. And you can help make this program fantastic the way the way it needs to be. Become a patron, and you can be a part of this show. And if you want to become a member of our member-driven group known as Suncoast Normal, go to suncoastnormal.org and become a member. You, you can get our fabulous gold leaf uh, five-leaf pin that I'm not wearing right now, like I usually do, and impress people at the supermarket with your marijuana knowledge. Because everybody's gonna ask you, what is that pin on your lapel? And you have to tell them, you know, Mota. Anyways. <laughs> In addition, you'll get your Suncoast Normal membership card, uh, which you can pick up your lapel pin and card there at Chillum. And anytime you walk into Chillum and you show your membership card, you get a 25% discount. So uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving all year long. And discounts for events that we like we had this last uh year we had a, a business uh conference we've been doing that again this year yeah we had a business conference we've had a talent show uh we've had a uh, best blunt in the bay rolling competition over the past couple years we've had some really awesome events and uh, we continue to want to uh, bring amazing events to our membership so becoming a member is uh, is definitely in the wheelhouse if you want to uh, be part of a vibrant and thriving cannabis community uh here in florida you and know, next time we have a concert, we will have a rapper who's sober. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, we're still talking. I was talking about that shit the other day. We should hold the barbecue, guys. We should hold the barbecue in the backyard. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, we have a backyard drive. We have, we have a backyard drive. We can do right behind behind Joe. so fucking hot lately. But when it cools down, it's going to be September soon when it cools down. Yeah. I'll, I'll grill some, some veggies up for you guys. Something in the fall sounds great. And maybe we'll yeah. have Eddie Geller write that rate a jiggle for us. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> I think he's going to fiber. We'll find out. Anyways, well, guys, tomorrow. Big day for the primaries. Go out and vote. And uh, we're happy that we've been able to give you all some insight into these uh, elections. Uh, the most important thing, regardless of who you are, where you come from, vote, participate in our democratic processes, and, and get out there and make your voice heard as a citizen. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This has been The Rotation, and you have been a part of it. You can be a bigger part of it by joining Suncoast Normal. Suncoast Normal is an organization that can help you make the change that we all need. Go to the Suncoast Normal website and become a member. Because that is how you become part of the change. You can find the Rotation podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes. But you can always join us in the Rotation at suncoastnormal.org. At that very website, you can join the cannabis movement by becoming a member of Suncoast Normal, gain access to cannabis events, cannabis info, Normal's legal network, and even a free membership to National. All by joining Suncoast Normal. That website, again, is suncoastnorml.org. You can also find us on social media, at Suncoast Normal. Uh, find us on both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And thank you, Gary, and good night. Good night.